Now we're looking at Torah, um, which is uh, Word of God. Uh, basically refers to the first five books in the Bible. And as you can see there, we got to the book of Exodus. And it was Sam's idea. We only need two weeks on each of the books. So there's just like, there's loads. And it's wonderful. So maybe get re-excited about the Bible and get back into the roots and the seedbed of the Word of God right there in Genesis and Exodus. And in Genesis, there's big picture stuff we saw in the first part of Genesis, the big picture of the creation of the universe, and there's stuff about the birth of humankind, and in many ways, the descent of man. And we see the sins and failings of humankind. But then in Genesis 12, God's great rescue plan comes down uh, into the small when he reaches out to one man, Abram or Abraham. And God says to him, I'll make you into a great nation. I'll bless you and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And so Exodus is going to take the story forward. And actually they're becoming a nation. So God spoke to one man and said, I'll make you a great nation. And he laughed and he said, what me? And uh, I'm too old and my wife and I can't have children. It's impossible. But already we've got to Exodus and the nation is being born, not just a child, not just a family, but the start of a great nation. And we said before that uh, the Hebrew Bible uh, is known, a shortened version as Tanakh, and the T stands for Torah, and that's the bullseye, the center there of my target. And then the middle ring is the Nevi'im, the prophets, and the outer ring is the Ketuvim, the writings. And uh, Torah, the first five books, is the heart of the Jewish scriptures. And so we're looking into these few weeks, the heart of the Jewish scriptures. But if we could look deeper, then we want to see the name Jesus written in the heart of that bullseye, because he is the word of God incarnate. He shows us what Father God is really, really like. So the Torah is at the heart of the Hebrew Bible, but we've seen Jesus, the Son of God and the Word of God, right in the heart there. So what happens in Exodus? There's a great journey. Now there's a journey before in Genesis. Where did Abram start off? Um, uh. <laughs> Thank you, Alison. Ur of the Chaldees. And uh, where's that? That's kind of off the screen. Whoops. Press the wrong button. Giving it away. Ur of the Chaldees is somewhere kind of way over here. In, is it modern day Iraq? Modern day Iraq. And they traveled to Canaan and uh, then went into Egypt uh, because of famine. And now Exodus is this other great journey where they're going to come out into Canaan, into the promised land. And this is a, a map of the traditional route of the um, Exodus. We're not actually 100% sure which route they took. Uh, obviously, that would have been the fastest route along the coast. But for fear of uh, battles, for fear of the enemy, uh, they crossed the Red Sea and then went down into the Sinai Desert and met God at Mount Sinai and uh, then went back up and uh, the spies looked into the land and they finally go past Jericho and enter Canaan. And there's a bit of a, a, a journey there, and there's a metaphor of journey, I, I believe. 
And uh, I don't think it was even that simple. So the natural way would have been along the coast. This way was down through the desert and back up again, probably as they spent 40 years there. They went round and round and round and round and round. And maybe your life feels a bit like that. But we are on a journey with God. And the question when we look through Exodus, one of the questions is, how are you doing on your journey? Whether it's a journey of life and you're in the kind of earlier stages, one or two people still are looking over this way in particular, or whether we're moving on to other stages, how are we doing in our journey of life? How are we facing up to the issues that we're facing up to? If we're parents, how are we growing in parenting young children or older children? I don't know what Dragner and Sam are doing to distract me, but... Uh, yeah, Sam doesn't usually press the recorder when I'm speaking, only when he speaks. So Dragoner is so keen to be able to put things on the website that she's checking that, uh, that we're being recorded today. It sound, probably sounds terrible, doesn't it? Where are we at in our journey of life and where are we at in our journey of faith? Coming to know Jesus, getting baptized, being filled with the Spirit, starting to be free in spiritual gifts, finding a ministry, serving in church, training for leadership, perhaps. There's stages in the journey of life, and there's stages in the journey of faith. And when we're thinking of the great Exodus journey, where are we at in those two things? How are we doing in life? What's the next step for us in life? What will we be dealing with next? And how are we doing in our journey of faith? Have we got stuck is God wanting to take us deeper? Is God wanting to move us on? And what's the next step for me? And one of the questions that Sam loves to ask recently, well, two questions really. What is God saying and what are you doing about it? That's really on Sam's heart. He'd like to go around probably to all of you and say, what's God saying to you today, this week, this month, this year? And what are you doing about it? How are you moving forward in your journey of life and faith. So journey is one uh, aspect of Exodus and uh, both of us have been uh, inspired by uh, a book by uh, Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs and uh, it's an excellent look at the book of Genesis. Now it happened in history, uh, the Exodus sorry, it happened in history, it was crucial for the establishment of the Jewish nation. And if you look at Genesis and Exodus, you see a movement from a man to a family, to an extended family, to a nation of 12 tribes, and then to a nation with its own land. That's the progression for the people of God in Exodus. And Jonathan Sachs said that the narrative of Exodus has been a real inspiration to many. And you can see there the book of Exodus is the West's meta-narrative of hope. Big story, a big story of hope. It tells an astonishing story of how a group of slaves were liberated from the mightiest empire of the ancient world. And theologically, its message is even more revolutionary. The supreme power intervenes in history in the defense of the powerless. The Exodus narrative has inspired many of those who in later times fought oppression in the name of freedom and began the long journey across the wilderness in search of the promised land. 
So it's a wonderful story. It happened in history. It's reality. It formed the, the Jewish people. But that story is in, and what God's done has inspired many. And how as a small group, a weak group of people that were powerless and enslaved and oppressed. And God met with those people and set them free from slavery and brought them into a land of promise. And we want to be inspired by that story. It's inspired many people over the years. And we want that kind of inspiration of Exodus to inspire us today. And Jonathan Sachs goes on to talk about the Pilgrim Fathers being persecuted in Europe and inspired by the Exodus story and going to America and founding what has become the United States of America. But even in the USA, slavery reared its ugly head, didn't it? And it was African Americans that were inspired by the story of Exodus. And they sang of freedom and they sang, and I won't attempt to sing it. I couldn't sing if I wanted to, and I certainly can't sing with a bit of a cold. They sang, go down Moses, way down in Egypt land, tell old Pharaoh, let my people go. I don't know what the tune is anyway, but uh, African Americans in slavery in the USA inspired by Exodus. And then many years later, in 1968, Martin Luther King preached in Memphis, and he was thinking about Moses leading the people through the wilderness. And at the end of the story, Moses goes up the mountain, doesn't he? He looks over into the promised land, but he doesn't actually go into the promised land himself. And Martin Luther King preached this sermon in 1968, and he said this in a church in Memphis, Tennessee. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain, and I've looked over, and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. He preached that sermon, and the next day he was assassinated. So like Moses, he looked over, and he saw a land of promise. He saw change. He didn't enter it himself personally, but he led a movement in the USA. And writing in 2010, thank you, Alison, Lord Sachs said it's remarkable that exactly 40 years later, and the number 40 is significant in the Bible, 40 years later, Obama was elected president of the USA. Maybe things haven't moved forward in a way that we would have liked. Uh, but 40 years after Martin Luther King made that speech, an African-American was elected president Absolutely unbelievable, but God can work and God can move. And let's get inspired to stand up for people that are oppressed and to believe that God's going to meet with us and help us to set people free. I'm looking over there at uh, Peter and Winnie, and uh, they're going to head back to Kenya. And uh, in the beginning of November, we want to pray for them before they go. But one of their inspirations is to, to work to release girls that are in some sort of domestic slavery uh, in parts of Kenya. So the Exodus story, the story of setting people free, can inspire people today. And I think it's also not just a message nationally, 
not just a message to be involved and engaged in oppression and stopping the traffic and setting people free and engaged in projects that do that, but also Exodus is a personal message. There's a personal message of freedom. And I thought of three New Testament passages, and I want to read them to you now. Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. And do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. In the worship, we were singing kind of old songs, weren't we? And there's a song to this that's kind of going through my mind. I don't know if you know it. We've been set free by Jesus. Don't wear the yoke of slavery that comes from the devil. Jesus can make you free and set you free. And John 8:36, if the Son of God sets you free, you will be free indeed. And when Ruth was singing, it was that prophetically you were singing, you hadn't written it down. You're just in God's presence and singing out those words, the words of the love of God and him setting us free and our chains being broken. That's the Exodus message. It's a message of personal freedom. And I want us to get hold of that. And John, uh, 1 John 3, 8, for this purpose, the Son of God was revealed that he might destroy the works of the devil. And there's a Graham Kendrick song going through my head when I read that verse. And the word destroy has the understanding of untie. And uh, I was going to demonstrate it, but perhaps not. Um, but the works of the devil, what the devil wants to do is to tie people up in knots. And what Jesus does in destroying the works of the devil is untying those bounds those bonds those cords and setting people free so the enemy in your mind in your heart in your relationships in your circumstances wanting to bind you up and close you down and cause you problems and to tie you in and to squeeze you and Jesus has come with a message of exodus the message of personal liberation and he's going to reach down his hand and he's going to turn things the other way and loosen those bonds and loosen those bonds and then they'll drop down and then you can walk completely free. So Exodus is a wonderful theme of freedom, freedom from oppression, freedom in society, but personal freedom as well. I was thinking of uh, a few people that have walked into freedom, just remembering one woman that I knew, uh, she'd, uh, her husband had left her, gone off with someone else, and uh, she was somehow locked into that relationship, even though he'd left, and she had rejection and bitterness, and she was kind of trapped there, she was tied in some knots, and fr forgiveness is a real key to freedom, isn't it, when you've been hurt and abused in that way. Forgiveness is a real key to freedom. But I didn't feel I could say just forgive him. That's kind of too much. But I gave her permission to get in touch with her feelings. And to express how she felt. And she felt a huge anger and rage at him. And she kind of got that out. And then as she processed her thoughts and feelings. And she was real with God. Over a period of weeks and months. She got completely free of the damage of that relationship and she was able to enter into another relationship and get married and have another child. God set her free. Actually she was named, she had one name 
And uh, she was named after her aunt's baby who died like a couple of months old. So her mum thought, oh, my sister's baby's died. I'll take that name and give it to my daughter. And she just felt, that's, I don't want to be named to kind of replace someone that's died. And so she renamed herself with a biblical name that God gave her. And she really moved forward in life. So people can be set free. I was going to read another story of one of the many people that have been set free from drug addiction. Uh, There's loads, we can tell you, about loads of projects. But someone had been injecting for years, addicted to heroin. And then a Christian reached out to them, gave them somewhere to live, prayed for them. And they got completely free of that addiction and stayed free. So it's a wonderful message of freedom and personal freedom in God. The next words that I want to look at is a Hebrew word. I'm not a scholar so uh, of Hebrew, so it's, uh, I need some help from people like uh, Rabbi Sachs. And it's the word avodah. And I want to read just the first verse. Don't worry about the second two there, but just the first verse, Exodus 1, 13 and 14. And the Pharaoh worked them ruthlessly. The Egyptian slave masters made their lives bitter with harsh labor, in brick and mortar, and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. And we can't see it in English, but there's the same word five times in that verse and a half there. And it's the Hebrew avodah. And where it says worked ruthlessly, where it says harsh labor, where it says all kind of work, where it says all their harsh labor and worked ruthlessly again, that's avodah. And so you've got the idea of work in the word, but it has the stronger idea of slavery. And then God breaks in and he instructs Moses to bid for freedom. He says, let my people go. And let's read on. This is what God says in Exodus 3. God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it's I who have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Then Exodus 4, 22 and 23. Then say to Pharaoh, Moses, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go that he may worship me. And you see there's a movement from harsh work, from slavery to worship. Isn't that wonderful? Being set free from the bondage and slavery of the enemy into worship. But interestingly enough, the word in Hebrew for worship is the same word, avodah. The word they've used for slavery, we're released into the same word, but it's translated differently. It's translated in, as, as worship. So are we going from one form of slavery to another, from slavery to owners and masters to slavery to God? And I believe one of the understandings there, I think there is a wonderful freedom to go from slavery into worshipping. But I think the key to freedom is not to break away from others and do exactly what we like ourselves in our flesh. That's replacing slavery to someone else with a slavery to me. I believe the real key to freedom is to become a servant of the living God. So we're not enslaved to people and oppressed, but we are totally committed and sold out and available to God, like a slave or a servant of him. 
And that is the way to freedom. And if I escape from someone else's clutches and I'm just kind of on my own, then my flesh is going to draw me into more slavery. But if I'm set free from the enemy's clutches, if I'm set free from others' clutches, and I bond myself to God and I'm totally available to him as a slave, that doesn't feel like slavery. That feels like worship. That feels like freedom. So it's the same word. And that's why when we say a, a, a service, it's that idea of avodah, work, service. It's the same word. Through. So work and worship and slavery, all the same root word. We want to get through to freedom. And we need to, to commit ourselves to God to do that. And as Bob Dylan famously sang, maybe I'll get Pete to sing it out now. You've got to serve somebody. It may be the devil, but you've got to serve. Okay, Steve. Steve and Pete. I have one here. Pete's a big fan. Pete's a big... Yeah, round of applause. Come on, Mr. Alexin. I have, I'm tied down. I haven't got the roving mic. I can't read that from here. Come up. Round of applause, Pete. Thank you very much. And just that one word, you can do other word studies. Just get, it's about freedom, but freedom isn't just released into what I want. That's the slavery to the big I. We live in the I generation here, iPad and iMessage and iPhone and selfie, me, me, me. That's not freedom. Freedom is to break free from being a slave to Satan, a slave to sin, a slave to other people, and being a willing, wholehearted servant of God. Uh, Edmund Burke uh, wrote this, people can't be free, their passions form their fetters. People can't be free, their passions form, form their fetters. But if we experience exodus, we can break out and be free because we're willing servants of the living God. That's another wonderful aspect of the book of Exodus. And a, a massive part of the story is covenant covenant relationship with God now what's an example of a covenant today well, one over here marriage yep and uh, if I'd been more technically adept I would have put up a clip from uh, Myra used to come to this church her daughter Tanita got married last Saturday and they were kind of dancing out of the down the aisle of the wedding very happily married celebrating covenants any other covenants employment yep it can be kind of trading agreements, uh, a legal document, employment covenants. But I think marriage is one of the best illustrations of a covenant today. And a covenant is a solid and solemn agreement between two parties. And it's crucial. It's crucial. And Exodus talks about the covenant we have with God. And we need that covenant. And in our society, when covenants are being broken... People are in business deals and they disappear off. We've actually hired out uh, Hope Centre in Forest Hill to this group to run an after-school club. And we found out in the summer they've absconded. They've just left. They owe us some rents. They're out the door. And it's even sad, sadder because the company is run by a pastor and his wife. And they've just gone, breaking the covenant and leaving us with an unpaid debt that they owe. So covenants are broken. And the marriage covenant as well. Obviously, we know, a lot of us know, innocent parties where their husband or wife have disappeared off 
But the more and more covenants that are broken, the more impact that has. And it's interesting, if you read the Gospels, Jesus talks about divorce and marriage. And the very next section in the Gospels is about children. And the impact of broken covenants between parents does impact children. I believe God can work in that and God can redeem it. But it does have an effect. And the more covenants are broken, the harder, I believe, it is for people to trust in God. Because they look around and they see broken covenants. It's particularly true of children. Children that have their parents in a covenant relationship and can see God in that. And that's broken. That's going to impact the child. By God's grace, God can work through a single parent. God can redeem and heal. But it is a real issue. And covenant is really, really strong in Exodus as well as Genesis. And we're invited into a great covenant with God, aren't we? We're invited into a wonderful, committed relationship. And in a covenant, they kind of cut an animal in half. And you walk through the middle and you say, we're we're in the heart of this. And what did Jesus add to the words about marriage? He says, what God has joined together, let no one break up and divide. It's a really solemn lifetime agreement. And we're in an agreement like that with God, and he's going to give us a relationship with him for now and also for eternity. And there's terms of, of the covenant. Every covenant had its terms. And you can see that the Ten Commandments, they kind of neatly fit into the sum up, again, that Jesus gave of love God and love your neighbor. That's what it's summed up by. The first three are about relationship with God. Don't worship other gods. Don't make false idols. And don't use the name of God in vain. What does that mean? Some people think it means don't swear. And people are used to the name Jesus just being used as a swear word. And I think there's truth there. But I think misrepresenting God, saying God's like this, and it's not what he's like at all. And Jesus had a massive problem with religious people that said this is kind of godly attitude. And they were miles away from the real heart of God. I think that hurt the work of God. So misrepresenting God is something about using or misusing the name of God. And then keep the Sabbath holy. Give time and space in your life for your relationship with God. It's absolutely crucial to do that. Have that Sabbath space, whether it's uh, uh, the Jewish was uh, Friday night through Saturday till the late afternoon, but whether it's Sunday, whether it's another time in the week, have Sabbaths with God and encounter God. That's crucial for your life with him. And the other ones are about how we treat other people, respecting the sanctity of life, respecting your parents, respecting marriage, respecting property and belongings of others, respecting the truth, particularly not lying about your neighbor and not being jealous of what other people have. And they're simple. There's just 10 of them. They're God's top 10. But I don't think anyone's improved on them. As a basis for moral life, as a basis for societies, as a basis for this nation that God was creating, these commandments are incredible. I don't know, do you think Magna Carta is better than the Ten Commandments? I don't know, they were kind of thousands of years earlier. And it's important to think, I live in a covenant relationship with God, and I want to honor God. And it gives me an idea 
have um, what's involved in that covenant relationship. It's not just, it doesn't matter what you do. It's a two-way thing. It does matter what you do in relationships. And it matters what we do. And we've got God's word and this wonderful covenant. And it was a unique thing. This one wasn't made just between two people. It was made between God and a whole nation. And it wasn't just about how to govern external relationships. It was about how we live our lives and how a community health. And is this going on? So it's wonderful. And Jonathan Sachs again says this. We have in the Sinai Covenant nothing less than the first ever statement of a free society. God's not a tyrant. He offers covenant agreement. He does not impose his will by force. He does not enslave. On the contrary, he's a God who liberates slaves. He becomes Israel's sovereign only when they willingly declare all that God has said we will do and heed. Exodus 24 verse 7. The free God seeks the free worship of free human beings. And it's really, really wonderful. So we're in this covenant relationship. I think the Ten Commandments are absolutely amazing. We need to speed through now. I think there's an issue between law and grace, isn't there? So it's not putting up commandments. There's Ten Commandments, and there's 603 others in Torah. And it's not just about, here's the rules. You've got to keep them. And then if you become a Christian, you've got to work even harder at keeping them. There are, are the rules. There is the law. But there's a wonderful message of grace. And it's not work harder to keep them. It's come to God in your weakness. Come to God depending on his grace and saying, Lord, in my own strength, I'm going to fail. But I'll depend on you. I'll trust in your grace. And you can give me the power of your Holy Spirit. And I can fulfill your law because of your forgiveness and your help. And I can be the kind of person that you want me to be in relationship with you. And I feel we're to be set free to stay free. I think the covenant can really help in that. But what I want to to end with, I think, is how we relate to salvation. Is it a matter of God doing everything for us? Or is our participation necessary? And uh, I think salvation, and that's illustrated in Exodus, is entirely a miracle from God. And we get excited when people are healed and set free. But the greatest miracle is being given the gift of eternal life, is coming to know Jesus and having that gift eternally. It's the greatest miracle. And it all comes from God. He's done it all. He's saved us. We can't save ourselves. We can't earn salvation. It's all a work of grace on the cross as Jesus loved us and died for us. But then if we go on with the Christian life, how does sanctification That's becoming more holy, going on with God's work. Is it all God's work as well? Does God do everything for us? Is it all our own effort? We have to work hard? Or is there some kind of partnership and cooperation? I've heard different people speak in different ways about this. Uh, Some people really want to emphasize God's grace. So God's done everything necessary to save you. You can't save yourself. There's nothing you can do. And as you go on with God, he does everything as well. And there's like this car illustration you may have heard, a bit simplistic in the past. So you're driving the car of your life 
and you become a Christian. So you get out the driving seat, you sit in the back, and Jesus is in the driving seat. It's all his work. But I, do, I struggle with it, don't you, Alison? Struggle with it, all being God, the process of sanctification. Is it all our effort? And uh, it's interesting that if you read the book by Jonathan Sachs, he feels that God miraculously brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, and then it was up to them to do the work of becoming a nation. He kind of plays down the role of God. But I really like the idea of, of partnering together with God. So it is the work of God. It is the grace of God. But it demands my cooperation and my participation. And I came across those verses you can see there in Philippians 2. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, continue to work out your own salvation that could be a message of works in your own efforts with fear and trembling for it's God who works in you to will and to act and call and to fulfill his good purpose. And I think it's that combination. It's not like I become a Christian by the miracle of God and then he does everything in life and I do nothing. It's not I've become a Christian, he's done the miracle and it's all down to me in my own strength. But it's that combination of me wanting to work out my salvation, me wanting to play my part, me deciding to be committed to God, me deciding to make space for God, but God still working in my life with his grace and by the power of his Holy Spirit. It's a wonderful partnership. And when we make space for God in life, it's not earning our salvation. It's not earning heavenly brownie points. Because we make space for God, it just allows an opportunity for God to speak to us and for him to be with us. We're not earning heaven, but we're enjoying God. So think about the Ten Commandments. Think about law and grace. And think about your salvation. I think just like the people of Israel, we're invited into a great partnership with God. It's his grace. It's his power. But we choose in, we buy in, we play our small parts. But we have to do that. And it's so important to do that. And we get strong as we do it. And large part of the, the end of, of Exodus is about worship. And it's about building a tabernacle. Chapters 25 to 40 is about the importance of worship. And I loved it that we've tasted that this morning. That we can come together we can open up our hearts to God. And worship is so crucial. And if they're going to be the people of God, as they follow him, they need to be a worshipping people. And I loved it last Sunday. We met here and we worshipped. And some of us kind of decamped for the afternoon and met again in the evening. We had an evening of worship uh, here for good, just like we're having an evening of prayer tonight. And it was like this kind of worship thing you're in in the morning and that enlivens your spirit and then we could gather again in the evening and worship again and that strengthens our spirit we want to be a people that are worshiping and whether it's you playing a worship cd or whatever uh, ipod in your car whether it's you personally at home whether it's you walking in the park singing a song on your heart from god or whether it's particularly when we're gathered together wherever we are it's so important that God's presence comes down when we worship him, just like the cloud appeared over the tabernacle. And worship is going to be the powerhouse for our lives 
and the power of our impact in the world because it's the presence of God that changes things, not my own little efforts, but the presence of God himself. So if you do read through Exodus, then uh, worship is absolutely crucial. Time's gone. I think it's time to, to pray. Just one last question before I go. How many arcs are there in the Bible? Three or two? What are they? Noah's Ark? Ark of the Covenant. Anyone dispute, dispute those? Noah's Ark, Ark of the Covenant. The rainbow. The rainbow is a sign of God's covenant. No, the word ark, A-R-K in English. But yeah, the, the rainbow is, a, we talked about covenant. The rainbow is a sign of God's covenant. He's not going to destroy us. He's going to be merciful towards us. But in the English Bible, there's two arks. There's the, the Noah's Ark, which was like a boat that sailed them safely through. And there's the Ark of the Covenant, where the covenant was put in. But those two words are different in the original Hebrew. But there are two arks in the original Hebrew. One is Noah's Ark, and the other is Moses' basket. That's an ark, and it goes in the water, and it leads to salvation for the people of God. And the other ark is not ark. It's not the same word in Hebrew. So God's, in this, when you delve down into the Bible and look at the original words, you just see connections and meanings. And I've loved the way Sam's brought that out in recent weeks. So Exodus, that's just a, a little kind of stab. Our time's gone. There's so much more there. But it's about journeying. How are you doing in your journey of life and faith? It's about freedom. Are you finding God helping you to break free and to be healed? It's about covenants. It's about God's word, the Ten Commandments, and all the words of Jesus. It's about worship, and it's about us partnering with God in his wonderful journey of life and his wonderful mission to redeem the whole world. Let's just pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for your word. And Lord, we want to worship together now as we close, and we want to pray for each other. And Lord, I pray that people here, even this morning, will know what it is to be set free from something. And Lord, we hear about all the devastation of mental health problems. And I pray that by your power, you will heal uh, someone here that's battling with anxiety or fear or a mental health problem. You will set them free. We thank you, Jesus, that you heal physically. And we pray for release of physical healing. We thank you, Jesus, that you break the power of sin and addiction. And I pray that this morning we'll see freedom from addiction. And Lord, we pray that you'll help us to be those people that know we're in a covenant relationship with a loving Father and a people that know the joy of worshipping you. We're not slaves to Satan. We're not slaves to sin. But we're slaves or servants or worshippers freely of the living God. And it is for freedom that you've set us free. And you've put a song on our hearts. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.